We've been moving through this book, chapter, verse series, and today we'll be coming to the Lord's table, and so we're going to be a little less formal, because as you know, on the, on the night that the Lord uh, offered himself as a sacrifice, he, he's, he had time around a table with his, uh, with his closest disciples, and uh, so we, we look to just be less formal, if you will. Our... But we're going to continue in our series, and actually, it's kind of a, a little bit odd in terms of a scripture memory verse. It's not the kind of thing we look to and go, I'm going to memorize this for my life. When we think of 2 Kings 17, 13, yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which... I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. It's kind of like, yeah, we don't usually look at that in terms of memorizing for our lives. So I need to give a little bit of the backstory as to what is happening here as we come to Second Kings and how it leads us to the Lord's table. I trust it will, if you're willing to go with me. A little bit of review. I, by the way, this is, reviewing like this is biblical. If you read the prophets and you read the book of Acts, you see they are repeatedly reviewing this history that we are going to touch on here. So I, I trust I'm in good company to do this. But you'll recall, if you've been with us, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, as God had led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt... And he has them on their way to take up residence in the land of Israel, which he has promised to them. Literally had been promised over four centuries prior. He says this to his precious people, Israel. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you, Moses, shall speak to the children of Israel. The thing that has struck me in a new and fresh way, as we've been moving through these book by book by book, grabbing one verse and saying, let's look at this for a little bit. The thing that has struck me is how for all those centuries... God was calling to his people in Israel out of a deep, abiding, and everlasting love. A love that absolutely did not fail. And he's calling to them, and he's calling to them. He said, come, be my people. In the process, he calls them to a new way of living, a way of living that doesn't enslave them to the dark kingdom, the dark kingdom of idolatry, the dark kingdom of licentiousness, the dark kingdom that, that at times will, will ask people to sacrifice their children in order to appease the idol gods. And he says, I want something different for you so that all the nations around you will see this is the God of Israel and this is who the true creator God is, the great I Am. So that's how he calls them, Exodus 19.6. Now, in Deuteronomy, we get to the end of Moses' writings. We find in chapter 5 that God is preparing the people at the end of Moses' ministry to take the land. Because there were some time elements in between Exodus were ready to take the land because of some wanderings they did as God had to deal with them in, in some questions where they weren't ready to trust him to move into the land. And we read this 
uh, about what should happen when they get into the land now, because it's going to come up shortly. But thus you shall deal with them, the people of the land. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. He's calling the people of Israel as they move into the land, which is populated with people who worship idols. Gods made of wood and stone and overlaid with gold and silver. He's saying you're going to clear those out so that I alone am the God to be worshipped. And he tells them why. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Do you hear the voice of love with which he calls them. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. It wasn't something special about you or you were the, you were the most populous. Therefore, I was impressed by the size of your nation for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So as he is is about to bring them into the land... At the end of Moses' life, Moses will not accompany them, but he's about to bring them into the land. Can you hear the passion in his voice as he reveals through Moses? God has loved you uniquely. He's chosen you because he loves you. There is this, this call that says, come closer to me. Walk in my ways, which will give you life and blessing, and through which I will be able to reveal myself. You know, we're seeing just as Miles came up and gave this, uh, this little time about a story. He said, he put it very well, I want to tell you a story. This isn't just about an announcement. I asked him specifically, Miles, will you please come? And this isn't an announcement we want to make. We want to share what God is doing. Here's how God is at work, and we can see his evident hand. And this is what's happening with the nation of Israel as God calls them to do a unique thing, uh, that he's going to reveal himself. Now, in revealing himself both to Israel and so that all the surrounding nations understand who the creator God is, he also sets forth some cautionary statements some warnings, because he knows that mankind in our fallenness, we have more than a tendency. It's just a reality. It's what I call the zip line. We just walk away from God on our natural bent. We will always walk away from God and say, I want to do things my own way. And he anticipates that the nation, they've already gone through some struggles on this issue, but they might continue in this area. So in Deuteronomy 28, as we get to the very, very tail end of Moses' writings, we see God calling to them in love. The love aspect is there all the time. But he summarizes his ultimate discipline for them if they disobey 
and he seeks to get their attention by making life difficult for them, and they disobey again, and they disobey again. You can follow this in Leviticus 26 if you want to go look for it there. I'm looking for a summary statement here. He says this, The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you uh, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. He's very clear with them at the outset that if they don't walk with him, he's going to need to do something very significant to get their attention, to keep their eyes focused on him. And what is that final attention getter? The Lord will drive you out of your land. And you're going to serve in the lands of pagan peoples. And you're going to be under the influence of their pagan system. Because you would not listen. And he says, that's the end. When I, when I bring you there, you know that... Uh, that it's, that, that it's the ultimate of my means of calling you back to me in love. It's that final thing that I will do. So they move into the land under Joshua. And it appears under Joshua that things are going good. They've kind of caught this. In fact, every time Moses calls them to this, they say, yeah, everything the Lord has said we're going to do. And then we have this statement in Judges Chapter 2, verse 7, and then verses 10 and 12. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Because Joshua had also given them a command at the end of his life. You know, to serve the Lord. You know, you're going to serve Baal. If he's God, serve him. If God is God, serve him. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people responded to that. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So those who had seen God move in these miraculous ways remained true. And they followed him for an entire generation. What a magnificent statement. But a couple verses later, it's followed up with this. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers... Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. They didn't experience this because they're a new generation that has come along. That is why, in fact, some people were praying. I know it was in the heart of some of the people. Miles mentioned people praying about what's, about what's coming this summer. I know it was in the heart of some people praying that we needed a fresh evidence of God's working, doing something beyond our abilities, beyond anything we could have guessed or tried or made to arrange, and this sidewalk prophets and then coming right behind the lorry line and our involvement in each of those places are reminding us that God is at work here. And it matters that we catch that, that we celebrate that, because there are some younger people here who've not seen God move in that way. And we need to remind them, this is God's hand. God alone would have brought that Tuesday morning followed by Tuesday night when nobody knew what was going to be happening and the next thing you know, we're dreaming about Lori Line coming. That's something only God could do.
Then the children of Israel, those who had not seen this firsthand, did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, you have this horrific time when every man does what's right in his own eyes. And unrighteousness just pervades the nation. Now, if you've been with us during that time, you'll recall how God was again calling to his people in the midst of their unrighteousness in that sweet little four-chapter book of Ruth. Where God reminds us of his faithfulness and that he has promised a kinsman redeemer who will come and in love will bring us back to himself, bring them back to himself. So there was that ray of hope, but what was happening in Judges was the effect that was impacting the nation. And we found out in 1 Samuel, as we progressed along, there was another bit of thing that, that has, a, has the, the shadow over it, if you will, if you will of we're progressing away from the things as God would have had them ideally. We read in verse 7, after the people had asked for what? They'd asked for a king. We want a king. Why? So we can be like the other nations. We're getting kind of tired of being this unique love uh, 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 recipient from you, God, and having you work in our lives. So give us a king. We just want to be like the others. And Samuel, we recall, was offended by that request because he served as a prophet and a judge in, among Israel at that time and among the nation. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also, he says, Samuel, here's the issue. They're not rejecting you. <laughs> They're ultimately rejecting me. They don't want me to be at work in their lives. That's at the real heart of it. See, these people said, well, we need to change the system. The problem is in the system. We have this prophet judge guy, and we want a king like the other nations. The problem is in the system. The problem wasn't in the system. The problem was in their hearts that they were putting God one step further away from them, that he would not rule over them. So God says to Samuel, give him the king, tells him, here's what the king will be like, make sure you warn them, and he's going to take, 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 take. And he ultimately did, they ultimately did. So from 2 Samuel, uh, we have the kingdom of Saul, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon. We call that the United Kingdom. There was just one king over the entire nation. And there were some high points in there. There were some magnificent good points. In fact, things that Israel looks back to as the, like the pinnacle of where their history was. But when we get to 1 Kings chapter 12, this taking, taking, taking from the king has so progressed that there's a split in the kingdom. And people to the north say, 
to this king who was ready to make things even worse, Rehoboam, they say, uh, we're not following you. And they follow a guy by the name of Jeroboam. And now 10 of the, of the 12 tribes separate off. So now there's a northern kingdom called Israel. The two remaining kingdoms, Benjamin and Judah in the south, are referred to as Judah. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And from here on, they're each going to have their own sequence of kings. And as you read, you've got to be real careful to follow which king of which kingdom. And they mark everything by the kings. And it gets real complicated, so you slow down. You kind of take your way through it. Have a chart with you if you can. But let's just give you a summary statement. Israel had all evil kings. The kingdom in the north never did one king bring in reforms that brought them back to worshiping the God of Israel. They, from day one, they were entering into idolatry, and the people went along with it. Judah, during this time frame, and it goes on for a few centuries, Judah has some good kings, some reforming kings, some kings who sought to turn this thing around and come back to the things of God. And out of his deep love for his people during this time when they're just consistently walking away from him. It's in that context now. Two kingdoms, a north and a south, that we find this verse for our memory verse today. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. By all of his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways, keep my commandments and my statutes, according to the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. God didn't give up on them. He was continually, out of his love for them, continuing to call them to himself, to get out of the darkness, to turn from that stuff that was going to ultimately destroy them. But things continued to unravel until what we'd read in Deuteronomy 28, 36, and 37 about I will drive you out if you don't listen to me. Now, it may, sometimes people have made this false dichotomy that in the Old Testament you have this uh, very angry, uh, very terrible God constantly threatening the people. And in the New Testament you have this God of love and grace and kindness. Friends, let's be clear. The same God is working his redemptive work through all these centuries. We are talking about the same God, the same person, the great I am, the one whom we have, who we have worshipped this morning is the same one. But here's a deal. This is just a principle. Just lock it away in your thinking. God cannot bless that which is contrary to his nature. God cannot say, oh, you've turned to idolatry. You're sacrificing your children by fire to Baal? Great! I love to see you do that. God can't bless that. And therefore, he has to get their attention to call them back to his place of love and goodness and joy. But they're not coming back. And so then, and these things you need to keep around are memory verse, because they explain our memory verse. 2 Kings 17, 6-8. Just listen to this. Here's what happened in Israel. And this event takes place in 722 B.C. We can mark this historically. 
In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria, that's where the capital of the northern kingdom is, took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria. Remember God promised? He said, I will drive you out among the nations. And placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations, whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel, and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And because they never turned from their idolatry, God allows the Assyrians to come in, totally displace the nation. They get moved out among pagan nations. Just as he said, you will serve other gods of wood and stone. That was 722 B.C. Judah in the south, there have been some good kings, hangs on for a little bit longer. But in 586 B.C., about 100 and approximately 30 years later, if you will, we read in 2 Kings chapter 25, Then the king of Babylon... Different country, same effect. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. Just as God had promised. For years, literally for centuries, he has been calling to them in love to return to him to turn away from the idolatry, to not serve those gods, because he alone loves them. They are his peculiar people, and they persist. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets. Every seer, this is our memory verse, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants and the prophets. So friends, what I'm wanting us to grasp as we look over this course of literally centuries, because when we think in terms of Moses, and he's on the scene in about 1400 B.C., and by the time we get down to uh, the second of the two kingdoms, Israel to the north, 722 B.C., 586 B.C., when Judah to the south are carried off. I mean, we're talking, what, eight centuries there? Something roughly eight centuries that God's been calling to them. He's been showing his love to them, asking them to come back to him. And this God of love was repeatedly Rejected. The steadfastness of God's love was evident for centuries in Israel, friends, in Judah, among his chosen people, the children of Abraham. Never, ever accept the false dichotomy that the God of the Old Testament was an angry, oppressive God. Not true. The God of the Old Testament was calling to his people in love. So that every seer, that is every prophet, spoke to come back to the one who loves you. The steadfastness of God's love was evident for centuries in Israel, just as it has been evident to us for centuries. 
that same love has been evident to us, friends. And here's where I want to share three verses. These will come up on the screen. Notice that as Israel and Judah walked away from God and God continued to call them, notice what each of these reflect. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God continues to call people to himself through his love, in his love, to say, come out of the darkness. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Though we were dead in our sin, he saved us by his grace. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And that's where we go, people, when we don't have God. That's how we live. That's where our nature takes us. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm trying to get across, friend, is something real simple. As we study the scriptures and we see God redeeming man to himself, we see a couple of things that just are there all the time. God's love never stops. Our need is overwhelming because we, in our sin, Always turn away from him. Scripture says the carnal mind is enmity with God. We don't naturally come to God. We naturally run away. But because God's love is never ending, he continually has been calling us and seeks us and says, here is where you can find real life and goodness. Because I have provided something for you in the person of my son that can change everything for you. Come to me. Come to me. When we come to the table right now, we come as those who have, are saying, thank you, Lord. I understand that my need was just overwhelming. I understand that my only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. We declare that, Paul says. We come as a response of love towards him and that love that has been poured out in us.
That's, that's what we're doing. And so we're invited to come and remember again God's love. But we are also cautioned in the scriptures that if we have not embraced that love yet, if it is not a part of our experience that we know that we have trusted Christ and said, Jesus, you alone are my hope. If we have not come to that place, we are cautioned in the scriptures very clearly that says, please don't partake of the elements. Instead, use this time to be before the Lord. And, and the thing I like to encourage is ask why. Ask the Lord, Father, why would I resist you one more day? The one who's been calling to lost mankind through the centuries, why am I resisting that? And ask God to reveal that to you with the desire that before this day is done, you will say, Lord Jesus, I need you and you alone as my Savior.